There's a book about him by a scholar I really, really like, who was a great Paul scholar, among other things, biblical scholar. And he has a book, a collection of essays on St. Paul, great, big, thick, challenging book. But it's the title that has always grabbed me. The title is Paul, the Apostle of the Heart Set Free. Kaboom. And man, has, has he hit the nail on the head. I went through a period first in high school, I didn't want to go to church and I resisted, but I obeyed my parents' house rules. Good old dad, he was great. If I have to go to church, you have to go to church. And then I fortified my unwillingness, not wanting not to go to church, um, with skepticism in, in uh, college. And also there along came a righteous reason not to go to church. I remember when I was a, when I was a kid, I overheard my, my our, our church, we were, we were not even Episcopalians then, we were in the liberal Protestant Disciples of Christ Church and our suburban church, Chicago suburban church, was gonna have a pulpit and pew exchange with a downtown black congregation. Okay. And I overheard my mother say to my father how disappointed she was in some of the things that she had heard from some of the congregants about this pulpit and pew exchange. And meanwhile, I'm on another planet in the back, in the back seat and I think, bingo, I have a righteous reason not to go to church. I don't have to go to church with those bigots and it had nothing to do, you know, I was looking for a righteous reason not to go to church. I mean, it's just, if you want an excuse not to go to church, you can find one. Um, you can find, I mean, it doesn't have to be something as grand as that. It can be, well, there I was in the back seat looking for my reason. Anyway, um, where was I going with this? Ah, very important point. You asked me, what was it about um, the Gospels and Jesus? Even when I was going through my skepticism phase i could never i could never let go of my attraction to the figure and the person of jesus it had hold of me um, whether it was his ministries to the wounded the hurting the outcasts um, all sorts of people who were on the left out, and ultimately his confrontation with the religious authorities and his crucifixion. That figure of authority and self-giving love had hold of me. Even when I was manufacturing arguments against the existence of God. And I also remember when I, when I came back to faith, I remembered one step on the way was, well, Jesus certainly believed in God. Where do you get off? He bet his life on it. So that, uh, that's how I got back into the faith. Now, St. Paul is further down the line. He writes epistles. He's a, he's a gigantic uh, figure in the book of Acts, which tells the story of the, of the early church after Pentecost. He's enormous in there. And if you put his epistles together 
with St. Luke's second book, the book of Acts, you have this figure of this um, overpowering, energetic, zealous, courageous, intellectual, well-born convert from an enemy of, of Jesus and the church to not just its principal uh, uh, writing and speaking apostle, but he's the man who takes the gospel to the unwashed. What a paradox. This hardline, orthodox, Pharisee, Jewish scholar who is a persecutor, an official persecutor of the church. He cast his vote against St. Stephen and held the cloaks of the guys who were stoning him to death. And that set up his turnaround, his conversion, because the Lord then appeared to him on his way to Damascus to do more of this um, and said, Saul, that was his Jewish name, Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, King Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Meaning me and the person, person of my disciples in my church. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you were persecuting. But that's all right. I'm going to make use of you as a great servant. And he turns that man around. Little did I know when I was a, coming back into the church how much and how profound that turnaround was. That scholar I mentioned earlier who wrote the book about Paul with the title, Paul, the apostle of the heart set free. Bang. He really is. But in terms of, I mean, libraries of scholarship have been built on St. Paul's. And I am, I'm a parish priest and an amateur. I'm an interested amateur in St. Paul. And I have found in following Paul more and more, he is the apostle of the heart set free. And in some of my um, toughest moments, it's been things that Paul has written here or there to his congregations that have picked me up and brought me back to life. Like what? Like what? Um, when I'm feeling that I'm not up to the mark and that I'm a, well, to quote Paul on this subject, this is the text that, that boosts me. The good that I want to do, I don't do. The evil that I want to avoid is what I do. I perceive this principle, this law in me, that when I want to do good, evil lies close at hand and I fall captive to it. And he's very honest about that. That's a long passage in his letter to the principal church, the, Rom the, the Romans. It's his mature theological thinking. Uh, and he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he goes right away to the answer, I thank God through Jesus Christ that Christ has lived the life when I haven't, that Christ has the grace when I seem graceless, that Christ is, is, is the forgiver when I need forgiving, that Christ is alive when I'm dead. And, it, and that's, that's just one of the passages of Paul. It's a famous one. And when it comes up in church, the good that I would, I do not, the evil that I would not, that I do. Um, and he goes even further with that on, on how, how Jesus is the deliverer from that kind of a crisis. He's right, this is a different letter. He's writing to the Corinthians who are plagued with all sorts of splits and divisions. 
they've got people up here and they've got people down here. They've got, they've got people who are rich. They've got people who are poor. They're intellectuals and simple folks, spiritual people, and just people who are trying to... It, even the good things of this life flow into the Corinthians division. And Paul addresses that. He says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God takes the wisdom of this world and makes it foolishness, and in the cross of Christ, he shows his true wisdom. And then he goes on further to say about Jesus, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that in him, we, sinners, might become the righteousness of God. In other words, Christ goes to to a death and a cross and a condemnation for a sinner which he, of which he was innocent. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. And I thought, wow, that, and that's just, a, that's, just a, that's just a couple of sentences in a letter where he's dealing with these problems in Corinth. He does that all the time. He does that. Living life of, in the university of hard knocks or abounding. My favorite letter by Paul is the letter to the Philippians. And he's very happy with the Philippian church. I've been to Philippi. You can, you can go there. It's in Macedonian part of Greece. There's Thessalonica, which is one of the biggest cities in Greece now. Then you can go off to Berea, where there was a little congregation, and Philippi. You can see where he was put in jail there. There's the forum and everything else. But He's in jail. We're not exactly sure where it could be Rome, but he's, he's in jail and he's writing to the Philippians. He's very happy with them. And he writes to them and he says, you know, I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned how to be poor. I've learned how to abound. In whatever state I am, I have learned the secret of being cont content with Christ. And it's, it's, it's a very, very beautiful passage. And it's the one that says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, let it keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, over and over again, these rich phrases come out of these tough spots. Um, Philippians is also the letter that we hear um, in Holy Week, especially on Palm Sunday, where he's, he's talking about self-forgetfulness, humility, and this is another one of those situations where all of a sudden his shoulders go through the ceiling and his feet go through the floor and here's this giant of profoundness in Christ. And he says, have this, talking about humility, he says, have this mind among yourselves and in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. There's the figure of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, and was born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he went even further and suffered death on the cross. There's the shape of the life that he's commending for himself and for all the rest of us. It's powerful stuff. I, uh, Paul, his conversion, his life's work, and everything else, from top to bottom shows the, um, the chickens are laughing, shows the divine sense of humor. Like Paul, 
I often find that the things I have invested a great deal of energy, time, and sweat in that's, are beside the point. And here in front of me is a situation of, of grace which requires open ears, a sympathetic heart, and a little, a little bit of Christian imagination to deal with. And all this stuff, this uh, book knowledge and everything else, all of this, I'm not putting down intellectual effort and study, but a lot of times, when I look back on my ecclesiastical career, I think of the things that I've spent so much time and worry and effort on, and well, it takes me back to when I first, did I rediscover Christ or did he reintroduce himself to me? I think it's the latter. It's, it's, it's more like, um, excuse me, Andrew, uh, may I reintroduce myself to you? You remember me from when you were a kid? Um, I don't remember much beyond uh, the overwhelming joy and the sense of good news of that discovery of the living Jesus. And you know, when Paul is done with all of his letters and everything else, that's what he comes to as well. He, sa he, he says, um, what is it? Um, I, I put a, there, there is no boast except the cross of Christ who gave himself for me and for you and for all of the rest of us. And he is our life and our resurrection. And uh, the sense of humor, the divine sense of humor in that is all of the stuff that we think is so important, we get very full of ourselves. Climb down off that horse. God often um, punctures our fullness of ourselves and fills us with something else his love and grace. I mean, I find that over and over again. God allowed Paul to have a thorn in the flesh so he didn't even become too spiritually elated. You know, spirituality can be a, a yet another source of arrogance. You meet that a lot in the church. I'm very spiritual. Hmm. Okay. Right careful how you use those phrase. The devil is spiritual too. Yeah. I mean, in, a, in America, I mean, Christians are divided. Uh, the American people are divided. But I think, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a dynamic between order and justice. And order is not right if there isn't justice. How can there be peace without justice? And yet, justice needs order to be implemented. We're struggling with this now in our politics. Paul would not say that that's not important. He would say that's not ultimate. Um, if that's your vocation is to do justice, then do justice. If it's your vo vocation to keep order, then, then do so. But he would be keenly aware that behind all human endeavor, justice and order is the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's how I would wrap it up.